welcome to a special broadcast of the Alabama Political Reporter and the voice of Alabama politics. I'm your host tonight, Bill Britt, and we're looking at Governor Kay Ivey's 2020 State of the State. Welcome, Susan. Nice to be here, Bill. Well, it's going to be a big night for Governor Kay Ivey. Mm -hmm. She has a set of items that she wants to put before the people of Alabama, that she is putting before the legislature this session. And I have to say that as we have met with the governor over the last few months, she is really showing the kind of leadership that this state has needed for an awful long time. She is. She's really, she's the one out there. She's the one uh, having the task force. She's out there making plans. We're hearing nothing from the legislature. Uh, there's no agendas coming out of either chamber. But she's out there in front of all of these issues that the state has desperately needed to address for decades. And what she's doing it, she's doing it with bold leadership. Uh, you know, not everybody, even us, always agrees with Governor Kay Ivey. Mm -hmm. But she's leading. Tonight, we understand that some of the big topics she'll be covering are education, of course. Governor Ivey, a former educator, has been very passionate about uh, education. You know, the other day she said, why do we have to be dead last? Why can't we do better? And one of the, her plans for doing better is to replace the existing elected school board with an appointed board. And she feels that this will make a difference. Yeah, there have been several turnovers, I think, five turnovers in the superintendent in, what, the last two or three years? Yes, yeah, five, uh, five whole, different superintendents. Right, and, and there's, there's a lot of confusion over there, and she thinks taking the politics out of the running for re-election, as she said the other day, take the re-election out of the equation and, and, and worry about the next generation. Yeah, and I think that's wise. Uh, the thing is we're only one of about three to five states that actually still have an elected mm -hmm. school board, mm -hmm. but it's going to be tough to convince people that they should give up their right to vote on a school board. It member. will indeed. Yeah. It will indeed. Because people are not prone to vote, to not be able to vote. Right. Uh, but, I mean, she's got some really good points, I have to say. It's just going to be a hard sell with the voters. Well, and she's going to make that case tonight, I think. Mm -hmm. She will also make the case that, again, we have to invest heavily in our pre-K, mm -hmm. which is doing fantastic. Our pre-K program is outstanding. It's the number one in the nation. In the nation, it and is. And she's asking the question, why can't the rest of us, the rest of our schools, be in the same shape? Uh, she has put a lot of time and energy into this. She's also put a lot of time and energy into workforce development. In other words, taking the this education and working with business leaders to identify what 21st century jobs are and how do we prepare our students to take those jobs. Right, because if you, if you don't have an educated workforce, you don't have, the companies don't have the needed employees right. that they, they need to, to produce their products. So you've got to marry education, in her opinion, and I agree, you've got to marry education with workforce development and partner with the business community to determine how that works. It lays right on top of this. She's going to address we understand health mm -hmm. and mental health. These are two big areas in our state. Uh, she's talked about expanding Medicaid, but she also says, how are we going to pay for it? Right. We know we have a mental health crisis, and we do not have a mental health solution, so that's another one. There have been a number of uh, mental health, not only the large mental health facilities, 
but the smaller community mental health facilities that are have been closed. Right. And so she sees that as a really important need that leads right into also into the prisons because if you're dealing with your mental health issues, you've got fewer, you know, prisoners going in. So one of the things she's been saying for a long time is that we need Alabama solutions for Alabama problems. Mm -hmm. The prison is a problem. Prisons in the, in the state are broken. Mm -hmm. The entire criminal justice system, we could argue, is broken. And she is asking the legislature to address some of the key issues around that. The question I have is, is there a will from the people of Alabama, from the lawmakers, to actually do criminal justice reform? And that's that's a big if. Isn't it, it is, because we were hearing over the last month this was going to be a big topic coming up this yeah. session, and now there's, it's gone dead silent. That's right. Uh, I don't I don't know that they know what to do. Like I said, you know, we, we, we're not even seeing any leadership within the legislature itself. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that they have an agenda. And we can talk about prisons, we can talk about uh, all of that, but unless we address criminal justice reform, you're just going to have to build more prisons. Because the fact is, uh, prisons are overcrowded because of how many people we put in mm -hmm. and how many people we let out. If you keep putting people in, you don't let anybody out, you can build a million prisons and they're well, all going to be overcrowded. And don't forget, this last week they closed two-thirds of Holman, had to move some 600 prisoners out of there uh, because it's just... It, it, and we've closed two or three others over yeah. the last few years right. because they are crumbling in place. Right. Well, the, 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 the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice has said that they pretty much meet the criteria of cruel and unusual punishment and if the state of Alabama does not do something about it, the federal government will come in and, in fact, take over our prison systems. The well, as long as we're, it looks as, uh, what they've told us is as long as we're attempting to address this, and I think that's where she's going with her prison plan right. uh, that we anticipate her discussing tonight, I think that's, you know, going to kind of help with that. But I, I'm hoping she will boldly, <clears throat> boldly present her case and then follow it up because... We keep legislating around the m margins. Mm -hmm. We don't really delve in and tackle pr problems. Last year, she she went for the gas tax. It was not popular, but she saw it as a as a way to increase the prosperity mm -hmm. for the future. She went for it big time, Susan, she and did. she succeeded. She did succeed, and you're also how much. Uh, Construction, do we drive, drive by coming back and forth to Montgomery? Hey, they just finished that big bridge in Birmingham ahead uh, of time yeah, and ahead right. of budget. Right. Well, it's about time for Governor Kay Ivey to speak. The 2020 State of the State. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Please be seated. Lieutenant Governor Amesworth, Pro Tem Marshall, uh, Pro Tem Marsh, Speaker Pro Tem uh, Gaston, and Speaker of the House, Mac McCutcheon, members of the legislature, justices of the Supreme Court, Chief Justice Tom Parker, and my fellow Alabamians. Thank you for allowing me. 
thank you for allowing me to address you tonight and the 4.8 million other citizens whom, for whom we all work. And I want to give you an update on this place that we love and know and call our sweet home Alabama. As y'all can see tonight, I'm operating with one hand. My arm is not tied behind my back, it's just tied up. <laughs> As I always say, there's no step too high for a high stepper. <laughs> well, I'll be fine. Last month, I had the pleasure of joining you and many others across the state in participating in Alabama's bicentennial celebration. Thanks to all the legislators, we not only marked our first 200 years in fine fashion, but together we began writing the first chapter of our next century. And with the continued involvement of all of our people and with God's continued blessings, there is every reason to believe that our third century will be our best. <laughs> governor Thomas Kilby, Alabama's 36th governor, stepped on to this very spot, in this very historic chamber, 100 years ago, to speak to the people of the state about what Alabama's second century might look like. Well, like me, Governor Kilby had served as Alabama's lieutenant governor prior to being elected governor. He would go on to increase funding for public education, public health, invest in roads and bridges, while also devoting more attention and additional dollars to law enforcement, and yes, even to build a new prison. Governor Kilby understood that government action can oftentimes become the engine for economic expansion and that education is the key to both economic and social success. As the old saying goes, the more things change. This first day of the 2020 legislative session, we can be confident with our plans to build on our past as we step boldly into a new century for a great state. Our third century begins with a strong, robust economy and renewed commitment to look for new opportunities to answer old challenges, many of which have been around for decades. Shortly after becoming your governor in April 2017, I realized that our great state had ignored too many problems for far too long. We had put band-aids and duct tape on old ideas, old roads, tired old prisons long enough. And while these change challenges can seem daunting, we know that one person can make a difference if you remain true to your core values. A challenge is an unmet opportunity. For me, those values are to always tell the truth, to level with the people of Alabama, and always shoot straight, and not be afraid to take on difficult challenges. I believe then, as I do today, that Alabamians were ready to do big things. Each one of you, in one way or another, 
confirm these beliefs with what together we achieved during our first legislative session of the quadrennium last year. And for that reason, and a whole lot more, I'm extremely proud, extremely pleased to report to you tonight that the state of our state is strong and growing. one of the most important decisions I would make as your governor, and that was to begin regular meetings with the bipartisan leaders of the both House and Senate. Now look, no one here will be shocked to learn that our two political parties don't see eye to eye. But unlike what we've seen nationally, I knew that no one party has a monopoly on good ideas. And I felt at the time and time has proven me correct, that these bipartisan meetings would help us come up with bipartisan solutions on everything from infrastructure funding to hopefully improving our state's education system. You see, set, success breeds success. And there's no better time to think big and bold than now. Our future generations depend on us doing so. benefit of working together was rebuild Alabama. Many pundits and longtime observers of the legislature noted that the first session of the quadrennium last spring was one of the most productive in decades. To that end, I want to sincerely thank each of you for helping us address one problem that legislators and governors before us put off for 27 years dealing openly and honestly with our aging, crumbling infrastructure. In recent weeks and months, we have announced the state's portion of $122 million worth of road and bridge projects in more than 48 of Alabama's 67 counties. And this is just six months after the new revenue began coming in. As I promised the people of Alabama on the day I signed the bill into law, rebuild Alabama will only be spent on building roads and bridges. And in fact, we added strong accountability measures to make certain of this. In the first of many bipartisan efforts that we accomplished last year, and the good news is Alabama still, still has one of the lowest gas prices of any state in the nation. One of my top priorities for this coming session is tackling another problem that others have either chosen to ignore or been unable to solve. Both my strong faith in the Lord and a heartfelt concern for basic human rights gives me a sense of urgency to address our long-standing challenges within our criminal justice system. Ladies and gentlemen, we simply cannot afford to wait any longer to tackle this problem and the and failure 
is not an option. Thanks to the support of the Alabama legislature, we made good progress during the last session to address the issue of understaffing. And I'm pleased to report that our recruiting and retention efforts are improving and moving in the right direction. Over the past seven months, the criminal justice group that I appointed last year analyzed many of the crucial components necessary to address the needs to rehabilitate those who are within our prison system. And I am extremely proud of the hard work and tireless work of efforts like Justice Champ Lyons, Senators Chambliss, Ward, and Singleton, and Representatives Rowe, Hill, and England for their willingness to put aside all preconceptions, leave politics at the door, and work for the best of what is truly in the best interest of our state. I look forward to working with the legislature and others on bills designed to address some of these issues. Currently, work is underway, well underway in addressing our antiquated and uh, crumbling prison infrastructure. In the past few weeks, I visited Holman Correctional Facility in Atmore and Tutwiler Prison for Women in Wetumpka to see issues firsthand. Some of our worst and most crowded facilities one of which was built more than 90 years ago, were never designed for the number of violent offenders that we have today. That's why I've asked Commissioner Dunn to spearhead the efforts to build three new prisons that will transform or transition our facilities from warehousing inmates to rehabilitating people. Ladies and gentlemen, Alabama has no choice but to reinvent our correction system by replacing outdated and unsafe facilities that pose a great risk to public safety and that inhibit the development of programs for inmate rehabilitation. You've heard me say this before and I'll say it again. This is an Alabama problem that must have an Alabama solution I look forward to working with each of you to solve it. <laughs> to aid with successful reentry, the community college system provides educational, technical, and workforce training. Ingram State, where I also visited recently, is the only post-secondary institution in the country that exclusively serves an incarcerated population. Y'all, this partnership is really changing lives. Just ask Brandy McCain. In one year, Brandy had completed the coursework needed for three logistic certificates at Ingram State. She was among the first group of Ingram students to earn a nationally recognized credential in logistics. Brady, Brandy worked her way with Ingram's job placement team to locate a job where she could use her newly acquired skills. With their assistance, 
she landed a job at Right Way Staffing in Fairfield, where she quickly moved up the ranks to become an office administrator and staff recruiter. In Brandy's new role as an employer, she is giving back by looking to hire other qualified Ingram State graduates. Brandy, please stand and let the legislature thank you. Thank you so much. What an achievement, Randy. As important as it is to fix our prisons, an even better investment long-term is building a world-class public education system. In a few minutes, I'm going to outline my plans for how we will continue making investments toward this goal. But first, I want to once again level with you, the members of the legislature, and certainly the people of Alabama. During last year's session, the legislature gave the voters of Alabama an opportunity to help move our education system in a bold new direction by having the opportunity for voters to vote on amendment number one, which will be on the March 3rd primary ballot. But unfortunately, y'all, We've gotten all too complacent at being at or near the bottom of national education rankings. Surely we care about our students. Surely we care that they learn and do well and score high. But ask yourself this question. Is there any high school in Alabama, much less any college or university, that will continue to keep a head coach who produced teams that are consistently dead last with Auburn or Alabama? You know the answer to that. And sadly, too many of our third graders are not proficient in reading. In fact, according to the nation's report card, we are 49th in the nation in reading, and we are 52nd in the nation in math. And y'all, it only gets worse as they get older. Too many of our high school graduates simply are not ready for college or a career. So let me be abundantly clear. This is not the fault of our hardworking teachers, principals, or local superintendents. Folks, it all starts with the system at the top. Alabama is only one of six states that has an elected school board, and this board has selected five superintendents in the past five years. Very simply, amendment number one will create term limits for the state board and no member will serve more than two six-year terms, thus bringing fresh ideas to the commission every few years. And equally important, the newly constituted board will reflect the racial, gender, and geographic diversity to reflect the makeup of students in our public school system. There's just no other way to say it, folks. The system is not working. And for us to prepare today's students for tomorrow's opportunities, it's time we get serious. It's time for term limits. It's time for accountability. 
It's time for stability. It is time to vote yes on amendment number one on March 12th. So much. Now, y'all, in spite of our challenges with education, but there's been some serious progress that's worth noting. Since becoming your governor in April 2017, the early results from our Stop Strong Start Strong Finish initiative gave us every reason to be extremely optimistic. When fully implemented, our students should get the best start possible early on are all but guaranteed that they have endless opportunities when pursuing their dreams post high school. And we all know that a world-class workforce begins with a world-class education system. And the path that leads that starts with a solid foundation constructed during the first five years of life. Now you just think of it, 95% of a child's brain develops from birth to age five. My education budget that I'm proposing will provide an additional $25 million to expand our nationally recognized first class pre-K program. This significant increase will expand the program by another 193 classrooms. The bottom line is simple. Providing the tools for a great start in life will yield dividends for generations to come. Join me in applauding Secretary Gina Ross and her team at the nationally recognized Department of Early Childhood Education for having the nation's best pre-K program year after year. Thank you so much, Gina. And speaking of investing in a bright future, tonight I'm proposing a $1 billion public school and college authority for K-12 education, as well as for our two-year and four-year colleges and universities. This money will be distributed on a formula basis to allow for much-needed capital improvements across the state. Equally important, this bond will not include any legislative earmarks for pet projects. It's been almost 14 years since Alabama made an investment of this size by providing direct help to our schools. And whether it's for new construction, safety improvements, or technology upgrades, this billion dollar investment is coming at the right time and for the right reasons. I urge the members of the legislature to help us make this investment a top priority for Alabama's future. Our children are counting on us.
As I said before, the challenges we face with our public schools can't be blamed on the teachers, administrators, or the students. Our teachers are vitally important to our students' future. I'm personally living proof of this. Growing up in Camden, my first grade teacher was, was Mrs. Elise Hickey, and she was a favorite. She left a lasting impact on my life by creating within me a passion for reading. It was because of her that led me to believe that if a child can learn to read, they can learn to do anything. Ladies and gentlemen, Ms. Hickey is one of the reasons I stand here as your governor tonight. Teachers in our state deserve to be compensated for their hard work. They instill a love of learning in our students and help them dream to become the next generation of doctors and economic developers and small business owners. That's why I'm tonight proposing a 3% pay raise for all teachers pre-K through community college. While no state in the nation has had more success in recent years attracting new investment and in new industry, Alabama must redouble our efforts to ensure that we will have the most sought after and most qualified workforce in the country. We have set an ambitious but needed goal of 500,000 employees with post-secondary credentials by 2025 that will stretch across all aspects of our education and workforce system. Our future depends on it. Last year, an unemployed Army veteran, John Carroll, came to uh, the Decatur Center, Decatur Career Center, hoping to turn his life around. He was going through some special troubles and was out of work. That's when Carl Flemons a veteran's representative at the Department of Labor stepped in. Carl helped John work on his resume, helped him apply for jobs, and most importantly, helped him restore confidence in his skills and abilities. With the Career Center's help, John landed a job at, lo at a local door manufacturing company. And within a few moments, few months, thanks to his hard work and determination, he turned that opportunity into another job with LG Electronics as a safety coordinator. Now John is still employed there today, even though a few months ago he was facing considerable barriers to employment. Both John and Carl are with us this evening, and John and Carl, we certainly welcome you to your capital. example of going above and beyond is representative of so many of our dedicated state employees. For that reason and many others, I'm also calling on our legislature to provide a 2% increase for all state employees. This will be the third...
This will be the third straight year our state employees will see an increase in their paychecks. And you know, whether it's the state trooper patrolling our highways or a social worker rescuing an abused child, we can be proud to have so many dedicated men and women who are giving their best to the people of Alabama. And speaking of giving one's best, please join me in congratulating the team at the Department of Human Resources, led by our dedicated Commissioner Nancy Buckner, for leading the nation two years in a row in placing foster children in a permanent, loving home. It's one thing to talk about helping a child, but it's another thing to actually do it. So thank you, Nancy, and your team. Folks, I'd like to take this opportunity to recognize all the cabinet members and staff of the Ivy administration. Let them know how much you appreciate their efforts and what they do every day for our state. Thank you so much. <clears throat> As we all know, 2019 was an especially difficult year for those who wear the badge. Seven members of the Alabama law enforcement community were killed in the line of duty. These heroes exhibited the best virtues of our state. They were selfless, brave, dedicated, determined, and in the end, willing to sacrifice their lives for all. Representing all of these families tonight, we have Ms. Joanne Williams, the widow of Lowndes County Sheriff Big Williams with us tonight. Ms. Williams, would you stand and let us say thank you. Please join me in a moment of silent prayer to remember all those who died in the greatest act of selfless service to the people of Alabama. Let us pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Obviously, one of our most basic responsibilities of the government is ensuring that we have a robust sector of public sector, public safety. And I'm proud to report tonight that under the solid leadership of Secretary Hal Taylor, the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency has, has increased protection on our state's roads and waterways. You know, for too long, we were operating on a bare-bones structure that increased delays in waiting for help on the side of the road and limited the number of highway patrol officers whose job it is to keep us safe. It's been a top focus of my administration, and with your help, we have increased the number of troopers from 365 to 435. That's a net increase of 19%. We've almost doubled our Marine officers from 24 to 42. My budget will include additional funding to hire and train 50 additional sworn officers. Since coming into office, I have made no secret of the fact that one of the most critical issues we face, one that will affect every single Alabamian, is the upcoming census in March. March 2020, this will be a make or break year for our state. I cannot em emphasize enough the importance of what a full and accurate count in the 2020 census means for our state. These numbers have a direct impact on the state's representation in the United States House of Representatives, as well as on the billions of dollars in federal funding, that's B with the, billions with a B, that affects schools, community programs, health care, and job opportunities for our state. So thanks to the leadership of DECA Director Kenneth Boswell and his team, we're going all out to get everyone to be all in. And it's ever so important for every Alabamian to join me in saying, I count by completing the census form. important areas that are being worked on by my administration every day include access to broadband that continues to be a top priority to continue increasing the availability of high-speed internet, internet throughout the state, especially in rural Alabama through the Broadband Accessibility Fund. Now, while government cannot do it alone, we are counting on the help of our partners in the private sector my budget will continue to provide funding to connect as many people as possible during the coming years. Currently, some 220,000 Alabamians do not have any wired internet providers where they live. Our efforts will not end until every Alabamian has access through high-speed broadband. Much as Governor Kilby increased funding in public health 100 years ago, my budget will make a substantial investment in the area of health care, both rural health and mental health as well.
Another sign of our commitment to improving the lives of those who live in rural Alabama is my full support for a pilot program to incentivize primary care physicians and nurse practitioners to establish services in medically underserved areas. I'm calling on the Alabama legislature to support my rural health care initiatives, which among other things will help improve basic primary care in many deserving communities. By encouraging these medical professionals to build a practice in these areas, we can literally transform many towns throughout the state. And thanks to the innovative leadership being provided by Mental Health Commissioner Lynn Bashir and her team, I'm also calling on the legislature to provide funding to build three new crisis centers in the state. Now, when these are open and fully staffed, these centers will become a safe haven for people facing mental health challenges. And at these centers, these people can be stabilized and treated without being sent to jail or the hospital. Special thanks go to House Majority Leader Ledbetter and his members from both parties and both chambers who have been working with him to lead the charge to put additional emphasis on this important area of public service. I'm also proud that our mental health department is partnering with the Department of Education to ensure that we are promoting whole child wellness. Fact is, folks, our students are with us for eight hours a day. And many of these students come from a home life that few of us can imagine. Our students are increasingly dealing with challenges and pressures for which most teachers weren't trained and they're not prepared to deal with. These young people need our help and we are going to do our part. As the members of this legislature begin the upcoming session, let me close my remarks tonight with a reminder, a challenge, and a promise. First, the reminder. We are starting our new century enjoying the best economy our state has ever had, ever. And thanks to the hard work of Commerce Secretary Greg Canfield and his team, as well as Labor Secretary Fitzgerald Washington and his team, these are unquestionably the best times we've had. We're the lowest unemployment rate in our 2,200-year history at 2.7%. More than 82,000 Alabamians, our fellow citizens, are working today than were working just a year ago. At the beginning of uh, the last year, economists predicted we would gain 27,000 jobs in 2019. In true Alabama fashion, our economy beat those expectations by gaining nearly 77,000 jobs, and that too is a record for our state.
there's one more record. A fewer number of people are living in poverty than ever before in our history. Now, all these results don't just happen just because we want them to. They are happening because we are working together, more united than ever before. And even so, there are some 60,000 Alabamians seeking employment opportunities. Still others are hoping to climb the next step up the economic ladder. So I say to everyone across the state who is still climbing, we will not leave you behind. My reminder is that every challenge is an opportunity waiting, opportunity waiting for action. And while we are enjoying the best of times, and my budgets and these requests certainly reflect that, we must prepare for a changing environment, one beyond our control, that recognizes times won't always be that good. So to that end, here is my challenge. For years, going back to 1999, when Governor Siegelman was promoting an Alabama lottery, we've been hearing that expanding gaming in some form, perhaps the lottery, or maybe a compact with our Native American neighbors, would solve all our problems and provide money for all sorts of good ideas. Keep in mind, the last time the legislature gave the voters the opportunity to cast their vote, the so-called education lottery, was voted down by the people of Alabama by 54 to 46 percent. It wasn't even close. And since then, we have heard promises of hundreds of millions of dollars. Now we're even up to a billion dollars that would be made available if only the legislature would give the people another opportunity to vote on a lottery. Or if I would negotiate a compact, if it were only that simple. Many of our legislators were not even serving the last time a governor had to declare our budgets in proration, making sweeping, cross-the-board, deep cuts. But folks, I remember those times, and let me tell you, you don't want to go back there. That is why I will be signing an executive order to establish a small working group of some of Alabama's most distinguished citizens to begin working to gather all the facts on how much money we could really gain if some form of gaming expansion occurred. Vetting on these individuals is already underway. And I will be making these names available to you and releasing these names in the coming days. Like you, I'm fully aware that the four states which board of us us all have some form of gaming. And neither you nor I are naive enough to believe that we are benefiting in any way when our people cross the state line to bet on a game of chance. Now, while I personally have never believed we should fund essential state services with unstable sources of funding, I have always maintained that the people of Alabama should have the final say on whether or not we're going down this path. 
So that, my friends, is what this working group will be charged to get, the facts. And once they've done so, I will bring these facts to the 140 members of the legislature and the people of Alabama. And we will then, once and for all, be in a position to determine whether or not this is a path we want to pursue. Ultimately, my pledge would be that for the people of Alabama to have the final say. But first, y'all, we must get the facts and understand what they mean. So my challenge to the legislature is give us some time to get the facts and then together we will give the people of Alabama the information they need to make the most informed decision possible. As you know, when we have achieved great success in the past, it was only accomplished through a bipartisan effort and many months of advocacy to do what is in the best interest for the people of our state. So finally, my promise. Throughout my service as your governor, I have pledged to level with you and to be a governor who doesn't shrink from responsibility just because it's hard. And I promise you this. I'm going to do all I can to help lead our state to solve tough problems and realize our untapped potential. Serving your governor has been the utmost honor and privilege of my life. You see, I truly believe this is our moment, our moment as a people of Alabama, as we confidently step into our third century to do the things that need to be done for both today and in the years to come. And ladies and gentlemen, I cannot do this without your help, your partnership and your support. Together, let's make this moment count. God continue to bless each of you and the great state of Alabama. to a special broadcast of APR and the V. Susan, the 2020 State of the State has been wrapped up. Governor Kay Ivey looked very strong tonight. She looked really great tonight. She's very strong with her message, very strong with her plans. She knows exactly what she wants, and I think the legislature has got some real work to do.
to live up to what she's asking. Well, she is firm about what she wants. She's a no-nonsense woman. Mm -hmm. She was elected in her own right. And, uh, you know, we applaud her for all those things. You know, nobody missed the fact that she, her arm <clears throat> is bunged up a little bit. Fractured. Yeah, she has a new little dog. She does, the dog's name's Mincy, very cute, kind of a long hair, uh, brown and uh, black and white, it's very cute, but she apparently tripped over the dog, fractured her shoulder, that's why it was in a sling. Uh, she's having surgery on Thursday. Yeah, she's gotta be happy about that, right? She actually is happy about that. I asked her, I said, uh, you know, you're having the surgery, I, I'm, I'm sure you're glad to get this over. She said. Absolutely. Well, I know it has to be painful. Her hand was black and blue. Black and from, blue uh, and swollen very From much. the swelling. Mm -hmm. But I think she hit all the major themes. You know, she, she talked about building the prisons mm -hmm. and the need for prison reform. She talked about education, workforce development. And she really reached out to sell her ideas to the people of Alabama. Yes, she did. She did. She made it very clear what she's looking for. The with the prisons, the, the story of the rehabilitated uh, former prisoner was very compelling. Um, you know, she, she really hit all the points and hit them really hard. Well, I think we, we have to come to realize in the state of Alabama that we know how to be tough on crime. We have to learn how to be smart on crime. Mm -hmm. I think this is what the governor's talking about. Building three new prisons mm -hmm. is a start, mm -hmm. but there has to be prison reform. There has to be a reform to the justice system, the way we send people to prison. Right. Because you, 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 it, it doesn't matter how many prisons you build, if you, you send more people in than you're letting out, you're gonna have to build more prisons. But it looks to me, like you said, she's given strict marching orders mm -hmm. to the House and Senate. Mm -hmm. They don't have to listen to them, but I think woe be the legislator that, that wants to go up against Governor Kay Ivey. It uh, didn't go real well for the ones who went up against her with the gas tax. No, no, no. And that's the thing. She's got a few big things she wants to do, things that the past governors have not do. They've mm -hmm. nibbled around the edges. Right. She's charging in, and she's she's doing it. Finally, I mean, oh. they, we're talking about needs that are decades old. Yeah. That she's finally saying, it's going to get done, and it's going to get yeah. done under my watch. Yeah. Or at least get started. Well... She laid out a great plan tonight. She sounded strong. The speech was good. Mm -hmm. I think it inspired folks, uh, at least around the chamber. There was nobody talking about that, that the governor didn't, didn't knock it out of the park. Right. Everyone's talking about right. that. So I think it's a good start to the session. I think so, too. Uh, there will be a lot of nonsense. Some thousand bills will be presented. And thankfully, only a few hundred will pass, right? <laughs> One can only hope. All right, well, that's been a special broadcast. For APR and The V, we want to thank you for watching. You watch us, because we watch them.